Hi, welcome to the podcast Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn, here with wife, mother, and attorney, Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Marna. Hi, Mike. Hi, everybody. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hi, Mike. Hello, everybody. Our goal here is to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations that will help you examine your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. Last week, we talked about those at-home DNA kits known as 23andMe, Ancestry.com, MyHeritage, among others. You send them a sample of your DNA, and the company interprets and sequences the DNA for you. It sounds intriguing, and I've been tempted to do it just out of an interest in genealogy and ancestry. However, I've never done it because there are too many unanswered privacy questions. What stuff of science fiction movies might be done with my DNA in the future that I can't conceive of now? Who has access to the data? Even more scary, what if there's a data breach? Since my sister and daughter have both tested their DNA, I've learned that my DNA is already out there too, so to speak. When you give DNA to these companies, you are giving DNA that also belongs to your relatives. This is an important consideration when we make informed consent to 23andMe or Ancestry.com or similar consumer companies. Other relatives are affected by our choice too. Do you have a right to share their information as well? What we're talking about today is the creepy possibilities DNA testing presents for privacy and the concurrent cool uses for DNA data in crime solving. To begin, let's talk about a new field called genetic genealogy. It is the combination of genetic analysis with traditional historical and genealogical research to study family history. For forensic investigations, it can be used to identify remains by tying the DNA to a family with a missing person or to point to the likely identity of a perpetrator. You also need to know about GEDmatch. This is a website which enables people to upload their DNA files from 23andMe or Ancestry.com into a database to expand search possibilities. This is a public source DNA database, and until recently, all the DNA files were open to law enforcement searches as well. GED Match has now changed their policy, so you can opt out from police access if you want. I first heard about GED Match on the podcast Bear Brook, reported and written by Jason Moon of New Hampshire Public Radio. Fascinating podcast, and I highly recommend it. In this podcast, they tell the story of a four-year-old girl who was abandoned by her alleged father at a campground. She was put into foster care by authorities and later adopted by a loving family who raised her into adulthood. She never knew who her biological parents were until, with the help of GED Match and a genetic genealogist named Barbara Ray Venter, remember that name, we're going to talk about her some more, the distant relatives who submitted DNA samples, and many volunteers who donated hours of research, 10,000 hours, they discovered who her biological mother was. Sadly, authorities were unable to locate the mother, and they believe she is a victim of the serial killing upon which the podcast is based. What would you do if you were contacted by someone who is an adoptee and is trying to ascertain their biological parents? You show up in the research as a distant relative, so you're asked for a DNA sample. It seems a kind thing to do to help someone, but given what we know about DNA now, do you think it's wise? Kelly, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? No, it's it's not no, wise. No, it's not wise. <laughs> no, I think you have to politely decline. Um, I would be very skeptical about such a request. You really don't know what the truth is, and I think that kind of request is very difficult to independently confirm. 
Uh, if you had a great deal of sympathy for the person, you could certainly try uh, to get more information and do some kind of due diligence to find out what's going on. But regardless, my advice would be to absolutely decline. I would point out recently uh, the Pentagon issued a memo warning military members to avoid you know, home DNA tests. And it's fascinating what they said. The reasoning that the Pentagon provided was concern in the scientific community that outside parties are exploiting the use of genetic materials for questionable purposes, including mass surveillance and the ability to track individuals without their authorization or awareness. So just think about that for a minute. Mass surveillance using DNA? Exactly. And the ability to track individuals without their authorization or their awareness. Now, I can't wrap my head around that, but if the Pentagon is saying that that could happen, what might they know? So I think, I think we should be mindful of that. And just these technologies are, they seem innocuous, but they're becoming, one could argue, dangerous tools that governments or corporations could use to violate an individual's privacy on a massive yes. scale, by the way, on a massive scale. yes. Not only with DNA, but new facial recognition software, which can scrape images from from the public. For example, activists at a protest and identify that person, get their name, where they live, and all sorts of information. So back to your question, no. Is there any way that you would feel comfortable doing this for a uh, an adoptee searching? Like if you could confirm the veracity of the story or anything, would you do that or would you recommend it? If I could confirm the veracity of their story and some and in some manner make my DNA available without their being able to access it, I might consider doing it. And part of the reason I would consider it is that I've already participated in 23andMe, so my DNA is already out there. So that would be the main reason I would consider it. If it was a friend or a family member who had not shared their DNA in a public form, I would recommend no. And we're going to talk about this later, but there are stories out there that people have used a ruse to get other people to submit their DNA to a test. So it's happening, folks. I wouldn't hand out my DNA (laughs) willy-nilly. Mike, what do you think? I tend to agree with Kelly, although I think you might make an exception based on circumstances, like so much of life. Genealogy is hard work, if done properly. Back in the old days, we used to do it all by research and paper and records and those kinds of things. So if somebody came out of the blue and walked in and said, hey, this is who I am, I think you might be a relative, can I have a DNA sample? My first question would be, well, show me what you got. You know, let's sit down. If you think I'm a relative, let's start to look at, you know, show me some pieces of paper or pull up your laptop and show me your work. Show me what you're doing. Because, you know, what's happened here is this has made, this is such a powerful weapon. I don't think we know how to use it yet. And it is, as you've both said, the ramifications for it long term are significant. So, we're not quite sure what all we're doing when we submit that uh, DNA sample. We don't know what doors we're unlocking. And this very powerful tool is so convenient, so quick, so definitive. But boy, oh boy, does it invade privacy. Not only your own, but as you've said in your intro, Marna, 
you are invading the privacy of anyone with whom you share DNA. So um, that's kind of how I would handle it. I, I have great respect for the dedicated genealogist who's really working hard to put something together, because I'm interested in that too, and I've done some of it myself. But it's not a single ask, let's put it that way. Right. It is very complicated. We have no concept about what's going on. And like you said, I have a lot of sympathy for this four-year-old girl ad- abandoned by the only father she knew trying to find her you know, biological mother. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a powerful and, and compelling tale right there. Um, so, Kelly, I have a question for you, if you don't mind. You mentioned that you've done this, and I, I just wonder now, I think, based on everything the three of us have done here to research this topic, we're all better informed, would you do it again? Do you have any regrets? I don't, and I'm not sure that this makes total logical sense, but I've learned so much, and without getting into personal details, I've had some unexpected results with it, and it's just been informative and enjoyable, and I've been able to reach out to some different folks and just learn more about myself and my family. So as of today, I don't know, I don't regret it, no regrets. But I could see in the future, as the technology evolves and uses that I couldn't imagine become available, that I may say, what was I thinking now, have you uploaded it to the um, open source database? No. no, I wouldn't do that. You know, the way I set it up, because you have different options, is fairly limited. And I didn't consent to my DNA being used for research or, you know, you can answer all, all these questions about yourself that they say will help them and help other kind. Con- and I've not done any of that. My name isn't associated with my with my results, only initials. So I kind of set it up in a way where I I have, I hope, um, some anonymity. Now, that would be my advice to anybody wanting to go ahead and do it. And I understand wanting to do it because it is intriguing. Definitely choose the most limited parameters possible in terms of privacy on these websites. Yeah, and you have to be very careful in kind of going through and doing that. One of my siblings also did 23andMe, and I would love, like, if she would share, we could, like, I think you could overlap your DNA and, and see what you share, et cetera, but she's so paranoid that she won't share the results. So about every other week, I'll get an email saying, hey, did you, are, are you more likely to be afraid of public speaking like, that's one of the <laughs> results. Did did you come out with your weight n- normal or heavier than, I, I'm not using the right terms, or heavier than average? Are you more likely to be a diabetic? <laughs> so we have to communicate by email because she will not put her, uh, her information up so that we could be sharing. Well, I certainly can't fault her for wanting to protect that. But that ability to share was the reason GED uh, match came to be, because people wanted to be able to share and overlap their data from the different companies like 23andMe and Ancestry.com, and there was no way to do that. Wow. So that is the public database then. Right. GED match. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. So as I prepared for this, I I was talking with my wife, and I so I have a question for you guys. I want to get your... So I am a listener, so consider this a listener question. You know, my mother-in-law is now in her mid-80s, and she is, as we understand it, of pure Irish descent. But 
somehow both sides of her family never kept track of where they were from and any of the details about that sort of thing. And so she's the last of her generation. Should we encourage her to go out and do this? Because at some point she'll no longer be with us. And, and it just seems like a way for her and every, all of her descendants to connect with a past, which we really don't know. So I just wanted wondered what you guys think. Well, again, uh, it sounds like a good idea. I imagine if like, you're like the rest of us, we failed to ask questions of our older family members' history and genealogy until it was a little too late and right. memory had failed and stuff like that. Yeah. So word to the wise, start 10 years earlier than you do and get it all down in writing. Yeah. At least yeah. that's my experience with my side of the family. Mm-hmm. But, um, but if you did decide to do that, uh, I, I would, like I said to Kelly, definitely choose the most restrictive privacy parameters you can. Yeah, it's it's fun, though. I would, you know, if she's comfortable with it, I would recommend it because the test results narrow, you know, the parts of England or Ireland you're from. It provides incredible detail, and at least I found it to be completely legitimate. For example, my grandmother came from County Clare in Ireland, and when I have a match, I would say 25% of my matches were born in County Clare within wow. a town or two from where she was from. Or mm-hmm. um, when I look at their, you know, where you, you state where your, you know, your father's parents were from, your mother's parents were from, right. I'll see County Clare. And then my grandfather was born in County Louth, north of Dublin, and I have relatives that will have County Louth or, or a county in in Northern Ireland. So when you start seeing that, it kind of blows your mind. And that's what you would get, uh, that kind of specificity, which I think would be a lot of fun for your wife and her family. Yeah. No, I think uh, that's, that's good. I just I wonder what you guys think. More to come on this topic after a short break. Welcome back to Ethics and Etiquette. We're discussing groundbreaking crime-solving measures that come at the cost of genetic privacy. Genetic genealogy has helped to solve a Seattle murder from 1967. It also led to the arrest of the Golden State Killer, a serial rapist, serial killer, and burglar who terrorized California from 1974 to 1986. I got this information from Wikipedia. Police uploaded a DNA profile from a rape kit to GED Match. It identified 10 to 20 distant relatives sharing the same great-great-great-grandparents. Genetic genealogist Barbara Ray Venter built out the family tree and narrowed it to two suspects. One was ruled out by a relative's DNA test. That left just one, Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. Police collected his DNA sample from the door handle of his car and from a discarded tissue near his garbage can. Both matched samples from the rape kit. He was arraigned in Sacramento in August 2018 and charged with 13 counts of murder and 13 counts of kidnapping. Just recently, March 3rd, it was announced in the LA Times that the man accused of being the Golden State Killer would be willing to plead guilty to charges with a lifetime sentence and no death penalty involved. The genetic genealogist, Barbara Ray Venter, thinks we should all upload our DNA files to GED Match to help law enforcement solve crimes and cold cases such as this. What do you think, Mike? Wow. So to the last point there from Barbara Ray Venter, everybody does this and everybody makes it public. 
Wow, that's a heavy lift. That is a heavy lift. Yeah, my my concern there. I I understand the the law enforcement angle and and you know the the desire to solve unsolved crimes. That's it's compelling. Like so many things in life, you have to look at whether the cost will outweigh the benefits. Right now, we're talking about genealogy and who you're related to and who's within your family. But I tell you, that same material contains all sorts of information that if handled improperly or that falls into the hands of of someone else, just as the Pentagon uh, warned in that piece that Kelly noted for us earlier, I mean, that could have huge implications. And one of them that I, I often think of is, you know, what ha- what if I do one of these tests and I put it out there and make it public? And then, you know, for example, my insurance company gets a hold of it. And, and they know now far more about me and my probability of, you know, my longevity, my propensity for certain diseases, those kinds of things. That completely changes the equation at least in that domain of insurance. And you can think of other areas where that's going to be an issue too. I am very cautious. I would say to Barbara Venter, until someone can prove to me that the benefits will outweigh the cost, I would not agree with that. Kelly, what do you think? I strongly disagree, um, unless we want to live in a fascist police state. Uh, it's ridiculous. We live in a democracy. We have a constitution requiring something like this would begin to take us down the road to a place none of us want to go. And I understand, I'm sure she means, well, uh, she helped solve this horrible case, and she's thinking that the, you know, the end justifies the means. And no doubt about it, the Golden State Killer is, was a monster. He was only charged with a small percentage of the crimes he committed. He committed more than 13 murders. At least 45 women were raped. He broke into over 100 homes. He terrorized sections of California for well over a decade. He is a really bad guy, and there are other bad actors out there. But again, we live in a democracy. We have a constitution, and we must always protect and defend the constitution. It's critical, even though we know that in some cases it will result in the guilty going free or not be held to account for their crimes. I don't know that she wanted everybody to be required to upload their DNA, but to do it voluntarily because it was much better for the common good. Yeah. I I hear what she's saying, but, you know, it it reminds me of that adage that I I sort of live by, which is if you put something in a text or you put something in an email, it will be there forever. So be really careful what you put out there. And I think the same principle applies to our DNA. We think it's being used for a single worthy purpose, but the fact is that once these things go online, they may very well be compromised, they may be they may get into the wrong hands and and then the potential for harm there is significant. Unless someone can prove to me that they need my DNA for a specific purpose, I don't think we need to be doing mass databases on everybody. Yeah, I agree. You should either consent to giving your DNA, and it needs to be true informed consent where you are honestly told the reason and have an opportunity to make a well thought out decision. Otherwise, if the government gets involved, they should have a warrant. Yes, and right now, I think in some federal cases, they do have to have a warrant to collect DNA, but local law enforcement uh, aren't held to those standards. 
We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And also informed consent, I think that's what we're trying to do in this show is help people to understand and realize the ramifications of putting your DNA out there. I had no idea. I thought it would just be really fun to find out where my ancestors were from. Yeah, it's a can of worms, I tell you. (laughs) It's a can of worms. We'll be back in a moment with more on this fascinating topic. Stick with us. Welcome back. We're talking about crime solving versus privacy issues in the field of DNA testing. Kelly brought up a case in Florida where law enforcement officials use subterfuge to collect DNA samples from the family members of a suspected murderer. I'm going to ask Kelly to tell us about this case, and then we'll discuss it. Kelly? Thanks, Marna. Uh, This was a case I read about online, and the article was from NBC News. And the main question or issue raised in the article was whether it's okay for the police to lie to get an innocent person's DNA to solve a crime. This crime involved Christine Frank, who was 25 when she was killed in October of 2001. She lived in Orlando, Florida at the time. She was a young 25-year-old college student who was shot and killed just inside her apartment. Semen was found at the scene. Police surmised that she resisted a rape and robbery attempt. They collected the semen and submitted it to the Florida Crime Lab, which developed a profile and entered it into a national criminal database. For years, there was no match. In the early 2000s, Around 2012, a new investigator came onto the case, and he reached out to a Virginia company, Parabomb Nano Labs, which had just started helping law enforcement identify unknown suspects by using genealogy websites to find relatives and build family trees. The researchers found two cousins of the suspected killer in GED match and traced their common ancestors to a husband and wife who lived in Valdosta, Florida in the first half of the 1900s. Move forward to 2018. In Florida, the police arrived at the home of an older couple, the Holmes. They were in their mid-70s. The police told them they were trying to identify someone who had been found dead many years earlier. They said they were looking for the person's relatives, had already obtained DNA from a sister and an aunt, and were using DNA and genealogical records to stitch together a family tree that they hoped would lead them to the name of the decedent. The wife had a missing niece who she'd been worried about and the family hadn't heard from in several years, so she agreed to provide her DNA. The husband refused. He said, for me to give my DNA to you, you have to come with some kind of papers from lawyers or something. A few days later, their son was arrested for allegedly fatally shooting Christine Frank in her home back in 2001. At that time, the family, the older couple, realized that the detectives hadn't told the truth, that they'd been lied to so that they could obtain the DNA of the wife to use against their son. Police said this shows their commitment to do everything we can to solve crimes. And they also said and pointed out that they gave the victim's family long-needed answers. By the way, in the months before they went to the parents of the accused, they had taken DNA from over a dozen relatives in Florida and Georgia. Several said they were told a similar story before agreeing to provide DNA. And they also said that once they realized they'd been lied to, they were very uncomfortable about what happened. The victim's mom ultimately said she felt bad for the accused mother, but still, she had no problem with the tactic. 
She said she was glad for the end result. Wow. <laughs> the victim's mother said that? Yes. Yeah, she did. She said she felt bad for the accused mother, you know, that she had been sort of duped, but she didn't have a problem with the tactic, and she was glad that after 17 years she knew what had happened with her daughter and that they were heading towards some type of closure. This is what's on the GED Match website when they encourage people to upload their DNA evidence, and they have links to videos of victims' families telling you how much it meant to them to have a cold case finally solved. So there's that. Yeah, yeah, and, and actually law enforcement can, I don't know if they're still doing it, but they can go onto the gedmatch.com site as a person and represent themselves as John Smith, for example, and then load the accused DNA into the site to see what kind of hit occurs. Wow. Their tactics um, really leave a bad taste I got to say, because it's preying on people's desire to help. Like we talked in the first scenario about helping an adoptee search for their biological parents. Of course, that pulls at my heartstrings. I can understand somebody wanting to know who their parents were. But to misrepresent and to lie, knowing that there's this human desire to help other people, I don't like it. That's what they do, right? I mean, the police are trained to interview and interrogate both suspects and witnesses in such a way to hopefully get at the truth, but also sort of I'm trying to think about the right word, but I don't want to say prey on, but I will say, but to use somebody's emotions or desire to help or to clear their conscience or various psychological methods to get someone to step forward and, you know, admit the truth or help. And that's what they did here. I mean, they went to, you know, over a dozen people and in each case representing that they had this this person that had died that they were trying to identify. Yes, as a Citizen, would it be possible to do what Mike suggested earlier? Show me what you've got here. Open your laptop. Brief me before I decide to do this. Sure. Or you could just do what the husband did, what what Mr. Holmes did, and say, no, you, know, you got to bring me some papers. And, yeah. and they didn't have any papers, so they walked away. There was nothing. You could say, no, I, I don't want to, you know, get a warrant. Does law, does law enforcement have the right, or, or can they somehow gain the means to collect DNA without the consent of someone? I mean, just as you could haul someone down to the police station and question them without their consent, can you do that with DNA? Is there a means that you know of? Well, yeah, you you can. I don't I don't think you can haul someone down to the police station without probable cause. You can ask them to come, and if they come of their own accord, fine. Otherwise, you're going to have to arrest them or have some kind of probable cause. But with DNA, they absolutely can collect abandoned DNA. I see. You know, okay. they so they can go up and and ask for your consent and you can decline and they can then get a warrant but it would be just as easy to follow you around and you you go to a bar you have a beer you you pay and you go to walk away and the detective's watching the glass the whole time and then he Mm -hmm. right you walk out the door and he grabs the glass and he says to the bartender you know he puts it immediately in a plastic bag and says you know what do i owe for you i need this glass Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how i think marna described that they caught the golden state killer was just his DNA was on the handle of his car. They they went through his garbage, got something. And in fact, in this case in Florida, by taking Mrs. Holmes' DNA, they then narrowed it to the two sons of the couple. And they followed the other son first. And I think they had some interaction with him, gave him a Gatorade, waited till he got rid of the Gatorade, tested the Gatorade, 
and you know the DNA was family DNA and everything, but it excluded him. Right. Okay, so then okay. they were like, "All right, we know it's the other guy." And then they got a warrant for the other guy's DNA, and it was a match mm-hmm. for the brother's DNA. Interesting. Back to the question, I think that this scenario poses. I I'm very uncomfortable with this, as Marna is. I think it's a false step on a slippery slope to allow the law enforcement to collect DNA through subterfuge or through a ruse. Because again, it's it's not just the individual you're after. You unlock a whole treasure trove of information about anybody who shares that DNA. That's what I see as as different and unique about DNA that's I don't I don't know that there's an equivalent out there in terms of evidence. I agree. And I also think as we discussed before, the end does not justify the means. And, you know, the police, they can mislead people to obtain evidence and they can lie. And that's considered a legitimate law enforcement tactic. But to do that in your community, to honest law-abiding citizens for the most part, it doesn't seem right. What about just telling the truth when requesting the DNA? Most of the family would have consented. Right. Most people would if they told the truth. Mm -hmm. But I think this is an area that really requires some looking at by the courts, and I I believe that'll happen. One of the things in the NBC News article that they touch upon is that the Department of Justice has a policy. It's it's not a law. It's it's not a statute or legislation, but... It requires informed consent from non-suspects before collecting DNA for genetic genealogy investigation. So if they decide they want to try to collect this, they should go ahead and get this consent. So I think that that's a good policy. I think that we're going to see, I'm not sure what's going to happen with this case. I know that Defense Counsel contacted the ACLU. I expect one of these cases is going to go through the courts because I think that some kind of legislation, regulations, policies, they have to be brought up to date with the technology. And I also think, you know, law enforcement probably needs additional training. Judges, attorneys, even the laboratories probably have to be brought up to speed with regard to the legality and the handling of this kind of technology in in criminal cases. I have another question, Kelly. Could law enforcement have collected discarded DNA from Mr. and Mrs. Holmes? Yeah, sure. They, They met them at the end of their driveway. You know, they were leaving the house to go somewhere, and they met them at the end of the driveway. I mean, they could have just gone through the garbage or watch them go to Denny's, and they could have done that, but they didn't. I think when I read this article, I I thought that they got a little carried away with the breadth of the DNA collection and the way they went about it. It didn't seem to me that it needed to be so broad, you know, and there are examples where they can go about this without ever having to impose upon the innocent the way they did here. You know, it's perfectly fine to get a surreptitious sample, and that really kind of does it, and it takes the argument away that you've invaded somebody's privacy. Well, it feels pretty invasive to me. I disagree. If the surreptitious sample is taken from a public setting, I don't think so. That's back to old-fashioned police work. 
You could do the and, same thing with a fingerprint, right, Mike? Yeah, exactly. It's back to a comment I made early on. You know, it's the collision of convenience and privacy. And this is a tool we just don't understand its full ramifications yet. No, sure, it really. changes things. It does. The DNA technology has really outpaced legal, ethical, and all sorts of other areas in our society. I did have one more follow-up question. This is for Kelly and Mike. If somebody came to you and said, we think a member of your family committed a crime and we have a DNA profile, would you give us your DNA? Would you do it? As a cold call or as a a single approach from law enforcement, absolutely not. I mean, I would I would need to know more because certainly the stories we've heard in the course of this podcast makes me very, very skeptical. Kelly? I would say I'm happy to help, you know, get a warrant and come on back. <laughs> That's a good yeah, line. Right. Let's tuck you that know, line I mean, away. <laughs> it would be like if the police come to your door and say, hey, you know, we hear your son or daughter or whomever is living in your house is involved with drugs we want to come you know we want to come in and search no <laughs> I remember one time when my son was in high school our, our oldest um so shy and wasn't going to parties really wasn't doing anything he drove his car to school when we lived in Texas um he went to a Catholic school and no busing so they came into him one day at school. They had a dog sniffer that was like walking around all the cars. And he came home and told us that they said that the dog alerted on his car. And they pulled him out of class, brought him over to the car and said, hey, you know, do you have a problem if we search your car? And of course, he was like, well, no, it was fine. And they searched his whole car. And of course, it was fine. And he came home and told us, and I wasn't too happy. <laughs> I bet you weren't. Wow. I, I, you know, I, I didn't say much to him, but I think I did say, you know, Sean, it's, it's nice that you want to cooperate and help the police, but you don't need to do that. You know, if something like that happens in the future, just politely say no and, you know, give us a call. But that's not unusual. Wow. That, that kind of stuff. I mean, the police are always, you know, they're always looking for crimes. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, which is a little different than, you know, the, these DNA situations where really they're trying to solve very serious matters. Stick with us. We'll be right back with Ethics and Etiquette Endnotes. Welcome back to Ethics and Etiquette Endnotes. This is the part of our show where we leave you with something to think about for the coming week. And Kelly, you had something you wanted to say, didn't you? Yes, what I was going to say about DNA, Marna, is it's so difficult when you're looking at these cold cases that involve public safety, where traditional investigative leads aren't yielding a suspect, and you have victims or ongoing victimization. And the instinct is we need to do anything we can to catch this perpetrator. We just have to remember that we live in a democracy, we have a constitution, we have the right to privacy, a very strong right to privacy under the constitution, under both the Fourth and Ninth Amendments. And I think as individuals, we shouldn't hesitate to assert our right to privacy. And we should always be respectful of the police but we also should not hesitate to decline to assist them if we feel uncomfortable about their request. Yeah, that's a great reminder, Kelly. Mike, did you have anything? Yeah, I just I want to underline what Kelly just said. I mean, specifically, she's talking about today's topic, which is DNA. 
I would also just kind of gently remind our listeners that, you know, your privacy is very important. And sometimes we allow convenience to trump privacy. And once you lose your privacy, in many cases, it's it's gone. It's out there forever. So whether it's your, you know, your online privacy or your DNA privacy and, and everything in between, people need to be really cautious before they put out information that they might not want to share with the rest of the world. Like you said, this is the wild, wild west DNA. We don't yeah, know sure where is. it's going to go. So buyer beware in all things related to you know, your DNA being out there and privacy. Proceed with caution. What about you? Do you have a similar incident to tell us about or a question to pose? Leave us a comment or a voicemail. We love hearing from you. You can do both at our website, www.ethicsandetiquette.com. If you want to support what we're doing, recommend our podcast to your friends and leave a positive review wherever you listen to podcasts. For Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. Thanks for being with us this week. Please join us again next week for an all-new episode. See you then.